text for today, which is Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6. It's also on the back of the sermon insert. I know the the hum there can kind of put you to sleep there, but let's wake up and be ready to hear Genesis chapter 15, 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven, and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let us pray for God's blessing upon his word. Lord God, we thank you indeed for writing these things for our learning, that we might learn uh, of your saving grace and to be in union with you, to be reconciled to you, to be comforted and strengthened by these truths. We pray that you would teach and instruct to make these words clear. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is an important passage in the Bible, though it's only six verses. Usually going through Genesis, we've been taking larger portions of Scripture, uh, but uh, this passage is... Uh, the first use of the word faith in the Bible, if you're just reading from the beginning, this is the fir- it's not the first time faith has existed. Faith has been evident um, in the works of, and, and uh, words of the saints already, people like Noah. Uh, Abram himself has already believed in the Lord. Hebrews tells us that it was by faith that he went out from his, the land of his kindred, not knowing where he was going. But this is the first time that the word is used, and it has something very important to say about faith and uh, what it does or how it's used. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Romans makes a point of saying that this verse, verse 6, was not written for Abram's sake alone, but also for our sake. That as he was uh, made or declared righteous uh, through faith, Uh, That so that is the case for us today. We're not just talking about something that only happened in the past to Abraham, but something that's true of the children of Abraham, something that's true for you and me. When John Calvin preached on this passage, uh, he also affirmed its great importance. He said, For if these three or four words, it's three or four words in Hebrew, if these three or four words in verse 6 were well understood, that Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness, it is certain that the papacy would be abolished. All of the superstitions in vogue today would cease. All debates that we have to endure would be put to rest. For this passage holds the key that opens all that is required for salvation. This passage shows the way to bring an end to all differing opinions. It provides the foundation of true religion. In brief, here are the heavens open to us when we understand what Moses states here. 
in a few words. Uh, it's a very important passage because in this passage we find that sinners are reckoned as righteous by God through faith alone, not on account of their works. But first, let's briefly review the passage. Remember the context. It links it to its context. After these things, the word of the Lord came. So this is after Moses had been brought out of the land of his kindred, out of Ur of the Chaldeans, after he had also sojourned in Egypt and been brought out by God, and how he had come to the land of Canaan. He had parted ways with Lot, keeping peace with him, again letting Lot choose the best land. Then he rescues Lot in battle uh, with his trained men and his allies, taking on the great armies of the east and recover Lot and all the spoils of Sodom, but he gives the spoils of Sodom, he gives a tenth to Melchizedek and gives the rest back to Sodom. says, I don't want you making me rich, or I don't want you to say that, to be indebted to you. And so, time and again, he has has been meek, he has been gentle, he has been peaceable, and he has not seized uh, the inheritance beforehand. He has been patiently waiting upon the Lord. And Perhaps, though, after doing all of this, he still would have reason to feel nervous that he had been promised an offspring and things were just seeming more and more unlikely as they got older. And they had won this great victory, but what if those armies came back? Uh, He had patiently waited for the land, but the land was still not yet his. And would he, in fact, inherit a great reward? And so the word of the Lord comes to him. Notice that phrase is the way that God speaks of prophets. You know, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Well, here, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. Abraham was a prophet, uh, too. And it comes in a vision. We know it's the night, because there's stars in the sky when this happens. And we know it happens in a tent, because he has to go outside to see the stars. So he's laying there in his tent. This vision comes before him. The word of the Lord comes to him, and he says, fear not. It's a word of comfort that he brings. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. God reaffirms the grace that he shows towards Abram that, yes, God is his defender. He is his shield, his protection. Uh, The idea of God being our shield is repeated many times in the Psalms. It's a great comfort to us that Uh, As you might rely upon a shield to protect yourself against all the blows of the enemy, so God would be the defender of Abraham. And not only that, but reward him in a very great way. But then Abraham asks about some of the details here. (laughs) All right, so what what are you going to give me? I, I don't have an offspring yet. You've talked about the land will be given to my descendants, and I'll be in a great I'll be a great nation. And I'll get these promises, but who am I going to pass them on to? Right now, the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus, one of the servants of his household, perhaps one that had come with him all the way from Haran, um, someone who was trusted nonetheless, but not his own son. The offspring, perhaps Abraham already realized, was going to be key to fulfilling God's promises. This is an offspring that is especially fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who would be physically, according to the flesh, descended from Abraham, and who, through whom the promises of Abraham, all the other promises, would be fulfilled. So where would this offspring come from? Would, would he be given? Then the Lord, word of the Lord comes to him again. This man shall not be your heir, 
your very own son, or one from your own body. Uh, he will be your heir. And then he takes him outside. All right, look up at the sky. Now today, if you go and look up at the sky at night, you actually might be able to count the stars. If it's a cloudy night, or if you're in a city where there's a lot of air pollution, you might be like, all right, one, two, three. I count them all. Uh, back then, though, it was dark. It was very dark. It was darker than if you went out to Wyoming today and looked up at the sky. Uh, it, there was no light pollution. The sky would have been completely filled with stars. The Milky Way galaxy, all of it laid out before him. And so when he says, look up at the sc- stars and count them if you can, no, he, he can't count them. There, there would be an innumerable host. And fortunately today, even though the bare eye can't see as many stars as they would have back then, we have the technology to really get an idea of God's power that he is the one who placed innumerable stars in the heavens by the very word that he spoke, how much more would he be able to bring children for Abraham? That God's power would be displayed in that way as well. So shall your offspring be. Your offspring will be like the stars. And that's true whether we think of the church. That's true whether we think of Christ in the sense that in Christ he has a great people that is united to him, that his body is composed of of innumerable hosts of those who believe in him. And so Abraham hears that, he sees that, and he believes the Lord. Even though there's a lot of things that he could have looked at that would have made that sound improbable, he believed the Lord, what the Lord had said. And then a key point here, and God counted it to him as righteousness. How was Abram righteous before God? It was not on the basis of his works. It wasn't because Abram had never sinned. Remember that according to the book of Joshua, God had called Abram from idolatry, uh, from serving the idols like his fathers had done. No, Abram dwelt under the grace and favor of God because God had counted the righteousness of faith to him. That is the righteousness that God provides and which is received by faith alone. And so that's the main point here that I want to emphasize. Sinners are reckoned as righteous by God through faith alone. We might call, we call this in New Testament terms, justification by faith. Justification is referring to declaring righteous. In English, we have two words, justice and righteousness, that are really translating the same Greek word. I think probably come from different languages that we've brought into English. So justify is related to the word righteous, even though it doesn't sound like it. To justify is to declare righteous. And God is declaring Abraham righteous, um, but not because he is necessarily righteous, not because he meets God's standards for judgment, but because he has believed God. And he reckons righteousness in a gracious manner to Abraham. But a few points to expand on this further. First of all, what is faith? It must be an important thing, right? Uh, What is this faith? What is this belief that Abraham has in God? It's traditional to explain faith in three terms. Uh, That faith is, is knowledge. You have to know something. In this case, Abraham knew what God had said. Uh, That there is assent to that. That's Yes, that is true. And then third, that there is trust, that you entrust yourself to that. You trust in that. You trust on it. We might say that 
you might have knowledge that there's a chair there. And then you might also assent that that chair can hold me. And then you also are going to trust in that chair by sitting in it. Um, That that is faith, that you have faith in that chair. Well, we have faith in God and faith in His Word, the Word of the Lord that has come to us through Scripture, that He is our shield, He is our great reward, and He will uh, save us. In particular, then, this saving faith is trust in God and His promises of grace. And it's evident in this passage, this faith of Abram is a trusting response to God's word, in which God presented himself to him as his savior, as his defender, as his shield. God had promised to bless Abram, to be his shield, to give him a great reward, to give him offspring for the fulfillment of the promises, a promise fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And Abram believed the Lord. Another thing about this word, belief, it's a form of the word, amen. Uh, Amen is basically a Hebrew word, amen, uh, that uh, as a verb here can refer to not just the fact that something is sturdy, but that you count it as being sturdy and trustworthy and reliable. Abram regarded God as faithful and true and put his trust in him. It also indicates not just a particular act in time, but a continuous action, that this was Abram's habit, this is his attitude towards God. Now, the Apostle Paul notes in Romans 4 that Abram's faith rested in God and his promises, the same God we believe in. Even though Abram knew less about some of the details of how this was to be worked out, he had the same faith and the same object of his faith. You know, God who raises the dead, who brings things into existence that are not, the one who would uh, bring about this offspring for the fulfillment of his promises, him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And so he who brought life out of the barren womb of Sarah to fulfill the promises also brought forth life out of the tomb as the culmination of that great work. And so we have faith by trusting the Lord and putting our trust in his word that he has given to us. Well, what then does it mean to count as righteous? And he counted it to him as righteousness. It's kind of an odd way of speaking. Uh, We don't use quite the exact phrase. But to count as righteous is to, uh, to reckon someone to be righteous, you know, to not hold their sins against them, but rather to, to uh, declare them to be righteous, to uh, it's a, a sentence, a judgment, a pronouncement to count someone as righteous or to count righteousness unto them. It's almost the idea of, of crediting something to someone's account. Uh, do you hold a debt against them or do you hold something uh, to them in a positive way? This is different than God working righteousness within a person causing you to you know, be born again and more and more to be righteous on the inside, but it's rather a declaration about you and your status. As a judge would declare someone innocent or guilty, a priest would, in the Old Testament would declare something clean or unclean. You know, he would examine it. It might already be unclean, but when he declared it to be unclean, that was the status then. That was the designation. Or a judge would de- does, not only would, Uh, declare someone guilty or righteous. And so God declares Abram righteous, 
That was Abram's status in God's eyes. Rather than being condemned unto judgment, he was justified unto life and blessing. The same word count uh, is used in Psalm 32. And the Apostle Paul brings these texts together, speaking of the same thing. In Psalm 32, it talks about how blessed is the man against whom the Lord does not count his sins. He does not count those sins against you. Rather, he counts righteousness unto you. He credits righteousness to you apart from works. Uh, We know that because your works deserve condemnation. So it is apart from a determination about your works, because if he put your works into the balance, they would count against you and not for you. Uh, Our our works are, are sinful. They fall short of God's glory, especially before redemption and even after they are still stained by imperfections and sins. And so we do not rest upon our works, though as those who are redeemed, we can still serve God in a pleasing manner, but that's only because of his grace, because we have been justified, because we have been declared righteous and come to him through Christ. No, we do not trust in our works. He reckons to us righteousness as a gift. The one who is accounted righteous is blessed, free from condemnation and the punishment that comes from condemnation. We are at peace with God. Well, then, how does faith justify? We've looked at what is faith? What is it to be counted as righteous or for righteousness to be counted to you? Well, then, what about faith being counted to you as righteousness? What does it mean for faith to justify? Well, faith does not justify as a work, as a virtue, It's not like, of all the good works you could have done, you know, love and, you know, obedience and and hope and mercy and all the virtues you could have worked, he just really likes faith, and that's the one that really pleases him, and so he counts that as good enough. Is that the way it works? No, that's not the way it works. It's not as a wage for works done. That's not how faith justifies. Uh, Paul makes that plain. To be justified by faith is not to be justified by works. Rather, the righteousness that is counted to you is a gift from God that is received by faith. What makes faith unique? Faith is unique in that it is something that receives a gift. It is something receives something that is given. By faith, you receive and apply to yourself what God provides in Jesus Christ. In Romans 3 through 4, uh, Paul speaks of faith in this way. He speaks of the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And Christ is the one who provides the righteousness. Christ is the one who provides the satisfaction for your sins. Uh, But it is received by faith. It is uh, acquired. It is uh, rested upon. It is applied... given to you and received by faith. Or as Paul says in Romans 4, the righteousness that Abraham had by faith. Jesus was raised for our justification because it's his righteousness that is given to sinners, which is a gift, but then it is received by faith. It's not counted to everyone. Not everyone is declared righteous in Christ. It is declared to those who have received it by faith. Faith receives what God promises. 
and it is as the means by which the gift of righteousness is received, a person's faith is counted to him as righteousness. Notice that Abraham had already followed the Lord for years. This was not when Abraham was converted. Uh, Abraham already, by faith, was following the Lord, not knowing where he was going. He had already obeyed the Lord in, in different ways. But his justification was still by faith. It's not that it started by faith, and then he could contribute all his works and make satisfactions for his sins to maintain his status. No, even at this point, it was still nothing for him to boast of, but rather a gift to be received, that he would trust God's promises and be therefore righteous in God's sight by grace. It was his faith in God, not his other virtues and obedient obedient deeds that were counted to him as righteousness. Even Abraham had nothing to boast about before God. Justification is not begun by faith and finished by works. It is rather by faith alone. And so, it is by faith alone that God reckons sinners to be righteous, that they might be spared from judgment and rather inherit eternal life. In application, uh, first point of application, appreciate this gift. To, to appreciate, remember what you are apart from this gift. You know, if you don't realize how important it is, you're not going to give it much thought. But all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God through Adam's disobedience, guilt and sin, and death has spread to all. As Genesis has said, the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Your evil desires and your thoughts, as well as your sinful words and deeds, are evil in God's sight. They deserve his judgment. Not only the miseries of this life, not only death, but also the pains of hell forever. And that would be just. That is just. Even if a fallen man could do one truly good work, it would by no means cancel out the least of his sins. And, if, and it only took one sin for our first parents, who were righteous, to deserve judgment. With one sin against God, they fell. How then shall we escape judgment, who multiply sins upon sins, but by the grace of God? So the second point, not only appreciate this gift, but place your faith in God and His mercy in Christ. There is no other way. He has provided redemption in Jesus Christ as he promised he would from the earliest days. He provides the righteousness of the risen Christ to sinners, that they might be forgiven and accounted righteous. On that basis, God enters into a covenant of grace to be your defender, to be your ally, to be your Father and Lord, to protect you, to bless you, to walk with you. But this gift does you no good unless you receive it by faith. If you do not believe in God and his promises, he will not count you as righteous. You must take hold of his grace and rest upon it. As the Puritan Thomas Watson put it, all the virtue of medicine is in the application. Though the medicine be made of the blood of God, it will not heal unless applied by faith. Faith makes Christ's sacrifice ours. It is not gold in the mind that enriches, but gold in the hand. Faith is the hand that receives Christ's golden merits. 
It is not a cordial in the glass that refreshes the spirit, but a cordial drunken, drunk down. You must receive it. So rest upon this gift by faith. And if you believe, thirdly, take comfort in the fact that God reckons sinners as righteous through faith alone. Even if your faith is weak and small, yet you shall be saved. It is not the strength of your faith or the fruits of your faith that saves, but it's the object of your faith that, sa- that saves. Your faith is of an equal standing with that of the apostles and prophets. It is equally as saving if it be truly in Christ. God's verdict on you depends upon his grace, what he provides, and not upon your works. God is the one who justifies Who is there to condemn? If God approves of you and has taken you into his favor and has seen to it that his own judgment is removed by his provision of a savior, who should bring you into condemnation? Uh, Your place is secure, for it is God who has loved us. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Fourthly, With this in mind, call upon God as your shield. He is there to defend you, your vindicator, your justifier, your defender. Come to him confidently, knowing not only your need, but his mercy. Do not fear to confess your sins to him. He knows them, and he has made provision for them. And so he wants you to call upon him, to confess your sins, to seek his help, his mercy, assurances of his love and pardon. Pour out your soul to him and seek his help. Uh, Even though he is a holy and righteous God, he is also one who saves sinners, declares them righteous in his sight, and does not count their sins against them. So call upon him. Invoke him, as the Psalms often do, my shield, my defender, my strong tower and refuge. And then lastly, Often we measure ourselves to other people. We like to justify ourselves and to, uh, to judge ourselves based upon how we look compared to other people. And uh, that often leads us to trust in our own deeds and virtues and to look down upon others. Or at least if we look down upon others, it helps us feel better about ourselves. And so the two tend to go together. But we are all sinners and only are reckoned as righteous through faith. You and I have nothing to boast about before God, no room for pride. And you and I ought to welcome one another in Christ as God in Christ welcomed us. As Bonhoeffer said, self-justification and judging others go together as justification by grace and serving others go together. We did not climb up and earn our place among the church. We're not a special forces unit that takes um, all of the qualifications and eliteness that that entails, but rather we are a household in which our Father has chosen our siblings, and they have just as much right to be here as we do. Therefore, make room for the weak, bear with one another, love one another, even as Christ, God in Christ has loved and forgiven you. So, to return to the main point, sinners are reckoned as righteous by God through faith alone. It is by faith 
that God is your shield and that your reward is great. That is how it is received. By faith, the promised offspring, Jesus Christ, has taken away your sins and laid upon you his righteousness. By faith, as a gift. And so in the words of the Apostle Paul, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Let us give glory to him. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your loving kindness and mercy, your grace, which you have shown in all ages that even in the days of Abraham and Moses and David, and so in the days of the Apostle Paul, and even to today, that you justify the ungodly, that you bring to yourself those who are sinners and do not count their sin against them, but rather uh, count them as righteous through faith. We thank you for this great gift, and we, we apply it to ourselves. This is our Savior. This is our hope. We dare not trust upon our own works, but rather upon what you have provided for us in your word and your promise. We pray that you would build up this faith in all of us to strengthen us, indeed, that we might receive the full benefit of joy and comfort that flows from it. We pray that you would grant this faith to those who lack it, that we might rejoice in your salvation together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.